Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. My name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case this is the uh, first time that you're tuning into the Talent Talk radio show, here's a quick little rundown of how it works. Essentially, uh, we have great guests on this show who are uniquely talented and care about talent themselves. So we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. So hopefully you see how that works. The word talent has a couple different meanings in the business world. And this show really, excuse me, really looks to explore how those two areas really work and, and kind of always seem to be running into each other in really positive ways. My guests typically include CEOs, entrepreneurs, uh, HR executives, coaches, authors. In fact, Speaking of authors, our first show in January, January 6th, we will have uh, retired Commodore David Marquette, the author of uh, Turn the Ship Around, one of the best books uh, I've ever written on uh, leadership in your organizations. Uh, We got him to come on the show. He's going to spend a whole hour with us, so just a little plug there for the January 6th show. But basically what happens is is, uh, I'm at networking events and conferences, and I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. And I created this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget you can submit your questions via Twitter right now. Just tweet them to at PeopleG2. Use the hashtag TalentTalk. My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions if you send a question our way here for the show. Otherwise, you can send suggestions, guest suggestions, or anything else uh, to us that way. Uh, you can also listen to this show via a podcast on iTunes or Android, which is actually how most people interact with us, and uh, subscribe to have all the shows sent to you each week. We have uh, over 104,000 of you who are subscribed to that podcast and, and downloading episodes each week, uh, and we're just really uh, appreciative of your support, especially here at the end of the year. I want to thank all of our uh, loyal listeners. So let's go ahead and get today's show started. It's actually our final show of 2014. We'll be off for the last couple of weeks here in December. So uh, we're really excited to have today uh, Eric uh, Severson. He's the Senior Vice President of Human Resources at a company you might have heard of before, Gap Inc. Uh, and also Amber Judge. She's the owner of Creative Lighting Design. She also has an HR background as well. So Amber will be joining us the second half of the show. But let's go ahead and get uh, to our first guest, Eric uh, Severson. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, uh, and also uh, you know what you're doing over there at Gap. Well, I'm the co-chief HR leader at Gap Inc., which is, you suggested, is a, a Fortune 500 company that consists of the brands Gap, Banana Republic, Old Navy, Intermix, and Athleta, and we're a $16 billion retailer with locations in about 50 countries, and we have business in about 90 countries currently. So all the places that my wife likes to go and shop to, and I get a credit card bill for, and 
like to <laughs> try to keep my cool about. We hope so. <laughs> and so you said you're the the you're co here. So how does that work when in HR when you're sharing a role, sharing a title there at Gap? Sure, it's an unusual arrangement, but it works really well for us. So my counterpart's name is Dan Hinkle, and we're both senior vice presidents of HR here, and have been leading HR within the company for many years. And we uh, went into this role about a year and a half ago when the previous CHRO left. And we've actually found it's been a very useful structure to have to increase the, the agility and the speed with which we're able to move in the organization because we can divide and conquer. And it's allowed us to take advantage of opportunities in the marketplace more rapidly and more quickly. And I think to improve the quality of our decision-making because you have two heads being set against any particular problem and two different perspectives. So it's been a, it's been a real pleasure and one of the highlights of my career. Well, I, I imagine if uh, as long as you guys are working together and it's kind of two heads, uh, if, if it's sort of like getting two perspectives, but at the same time maybe like having a clone where you can get twice as work, much as work done, that really allows your organization, at least from a human capital standpoint, to be far more agile. Uh, really kind of a unique idea. I've never never heard of anything like that. Yeah, we haven't within HR, but it's not uh, to- totally unlike, say, a CEO and COO relationship that many companies have or companies that have maybe two original founders who started the company up and have continued to leave it for, lead it for many years. You tend to have two different complementary skill sets, and as you suggested, uh, you're able to move quickly sometimes because you can create more individual focus on different parts of the business. So I think this was true for us particularly in the last year, 2014, when we were able to implement two really important initiatives that were not originally on our long-range plan, our annual goals, our minimum wage initiative and our pay equality initiative, um, both of which were emerging issues socially and politically and became ideal opportunities for GAP to uh, leverage to get competitive advantage And under typical circumstances, a company might take months or years to study these kinds of big infrastructural um, problems and and issues before deciding what to do. And in each of those instances, we were able to act in a matter of weeks um, on our objective. And uh, I think in today's marketplace and in a, a world that's increasingly global and digital, it's really an imperative if you want to gain market share to be able to jump on opportunities and have a first mover advantage mm-hmm. uh, increasingly. So I think in many ways it's helped us to do that. Well, it's uh, it's 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 really uh, like you said, maybe not necessarily unique in the sense that there are other you know places in an organization where particular duties might be shared. But it's just the first time I've ever heard of it in HR, and it sounds like it's really been. Uh, beneficial to you. Uh, Do you guys work in the same actual location? We do. We're both based in our headquarters offices in San Francisco, uh, literally in the same building, same floor with the CEO, and we both report to the the CEO, and that facilitates the the arrangement. But I would say we wouldn't have to be because we're really working as a company that's increasingly global uh, to leverage technology and virtual working and mobile technology to be able to be increasingly agile. So, for example, in our in our headquarters offices, um, it's why we have 
embraced flexible working and many of our brands are part of the results only work environment philosophy where employees can work wherever they want whenever they want as long as they get results and that kind of approach which is much more sort of 21st century oriented helps us remain really nimble and flexible and it matters much less where people are physically in proximity to one another yeah we, we have really found that to be that way in our organization as well and Sometimes people have a really hard time getting their head wrapped around it when they look from the outside in. But internally, when you're working that way and you have the right tools and the right processes and the right leaders and culture to, to kind of drive that, it, it really actually ends up opening up so much more opportunities for people that maybe you wouldn't otherwise have access to or you wouldn't maybe be able to keep uh, because of other you know, things that the company really can't control. Uh, yeah, that's really where it originated for us. We first implemented Row in 2008. And it was after many years of operating in a very, very tight, difficult labor market in the key headquarters locations where we attract creative talent, San Francisco and New York being foremost among them. And we're back in that situation again post-recession where unemployment in the Bay Area, for example, where we recruit the bulk of our headquarters talent is down around 4% now. So I think this is going to be a trend for a while that employers are going to have to begin to rethink how they work in order to attract particularly millennial talent sure. that is much more focused on work-life integration and having a holistic life. So it's something we've been focused on for about 10 years, actually, and starting increasingly working on carving out a competitive advantage in the talent marketplace as being an employer where well-being and work-life integration are priorities, in particular because our, our workforce is three-quarters female and uh, close to 80% millennial. So wow. it's a, really an imperative for us to keep, uh, keep in touch with and keep pace with the way that people's lives are evolving. Well, I'm, I'm going to throw out a, a, a pitch idea for you. Maybe one day I'll come up there to San Francisco and we'll get the two of you together. I'd love to get your per, kind of uh, two arguing perspectives. We could spend a whole hour on the Talent Talk show uh, maybe in 2015. But I wanted to kind of get a little bit deeper f- into your perspectives on what you've seen changing in HR. Um, I, I know you were with Macy's prior to this. And, you know, so over the last 15 years that you've really been at this high level of HR, what sort of changes have you really seen uh, from a growth standpoint uh, from where you started to where you really you feel like you are now? Okay. So I think when I first started in HR uh, 20 years ago, it was I was actually a system personnel manager, and we were keeping employee files in something called Cardexes that you typed on an IBM Selectric right. and stapled together and used whiteout. So I think the transition, the evolution that I would, characterize HR as having made is from truly administering employee lifecycle processes, onboarding people, training them, et cetera, to truly being what I would call talent managers and focused on talent performance. So it's a bit like the evolution that, that finance has had it from accounting into finance, that accounting is still part of finance, accounting for the uh, financial resources of the company, but finance is really truly about how you get the most out of the money you have. And really, I see HR as being the same. In fact, you know, even here when I was head of HR at Gap Brand, I eliminated the name human resources from the whole team and renamed everything talent. So instead of ha- 
HR generalists, we had talent managers. Instead of recruiters, we had talent attraction leaders. And the idea was to focus on the fact that really in the 21st century, what people are giving to you when they come to work is not their body. They're giving you their talent. I think Daniel Pink, the author, characterized this most effectively uh, in his book, A Whole New Mind, when he talked about the late 20th century being about the knowledge economy, and the 21st century is the conceptual economy. We even move beyond knowledge workers to really being about concept and design, and that essentially um, what you're hiring is someone's brain. I very deeply believe that, and so the job of HR is to figure out um, how to make the most of the people's minds that are brought into the organization through all the things that we traditionally know, but using new means. So, you know, how orgs are structured to get the most out of people in groups, what kind of development brings out the highest performance of a person, what kind of coaching, those kinds of things. And I think uh, today the other big change I see is that HR is no longer limited to just traditional domains of training, recruiting, um, org design, et cetera, that we draw insights that we use from all different domains of human performance science, neuroscience, psychology, uh, exercise physiology, anywhere where there are insights into how human beings can perform better. It is a knowledge base from which I certainly draw on a regular basis to build programs and established practices. Well, really what you've described here is a really great kind of a direct example and version of what a lot of HR leaders on this show have been talking about, and, and I, I usually kind of distill things down into maybe a smaller soundbite, and that is, you know, HR's really gone from being tactical to being strategic. And, you know, organizations that are allowing their HR departments to, to really fill that role, and, and, and sounds like the things you guys are doing are really incredible. If you're running the gamut between, you know, from exercise and physiology, you know, through psychology and, and neuroscience, and you're really taking those things in, you're able to get the most out of, of not only get the most out of people, but you're also able to allow your workers, uh, your, your your staff, your employees to be to be more engaged, to be happier, and to, to really enjoy their work, right? Yeah, I think correct, because I think one of the things that has emerged in the last, only the last decade from the, the field of uh, psychology and neuroscience, really since the invention of the uh, functional MRI machine, is the connection between well-being and performance and increasingly the negative impact of stress on people's performance. And it's really revolutionary, actually, and has affected how we do many things that HR has traditionally administered. So, for example, for us at GAP, we in the last year replaced our entire performance management system that we had used for 15 years with only minimal adjustments, and threw it out and started over and based our system on two fundamental principles, one on neuroplasticity research and, secondly, on mindset psychology and the idea of a growth mindset. And it completely changed everything about how we manage people's performance. So, for example, from an annual review to uh, once a month or 12 times a year, um, talking to your manager about your performance against your goals, and we eliminated performance ratings, for example, because that is at odds with um, high performance. So I think it's an example of how we've integrated the latest science into how we manage people in order to drive 
both higher performance and employee satisfaction, and really actually connecting the two that uh, employees experience high well-being are much more productive and higher performing at work. Now, you mentioned a, a growth mindset, and uh, I've, I think I recently reread a book uh, by Dr. Carol Dweck. Did any of that kind of come from her her research and findings, you know? It did, yeah. So I, I read Mindset in 2006 when Dr. Dweck first wrote it, and it became clear to me at the time that this was a little bit of a holy grail in the, in the area of performance management and uh, human performance overall. And it took some years uh, to figure out how to build a performance management system based on that, that work. But literally that long ago, it occurred to me that, that what she was teaching, which is essentially that winners win because they are continually challenging themselves with harder and harder objectives, was the, the key to building a high-performance organization. And what we've done over the last two years is build that into a sustainable practice that can be scaled to an organization our size, which is 140,000 people, which takes some work and some doing. And, and a lot of the HR, traditional HR skill in project management that we have worked hard to build over the years, but it's a combination of that traditional skill with cutting-edge thinking, I think, that as a profession, we have to keep fostering. Sure. I know you, you've got quite a few uh, accolades recently. You were U.S. Commerce Secretary uh, asked you to serve on that National Council on Innovation and Entrepreneurship, and you also recently uh, got a Ivanta Breakaway uh, Leaders Award. So certainly you've been doing some great stuff. What are some of those things, you know, how are they impacting your career and how you challenge yourself going forward? Well, I think um, with NACI, the uh, National uh, Advisory Council on Innovation and Entrepreneurship, our goal there as a, as a council is to support Secretary Pritzker in coming up with some new and innovative ways for the U.S. to build competitiveness in the workforce. And I, in particular, am on the, the Workforce Development Committee. And so what we're focused on, which is a goal that really is what we're focused on at Gap Inc., just scaled up, is how do we connect the interests of businesses with the interests of employees? And this is actually something that we've been working on at Gap for a number of years. In Gap Brand, for example, we named our talent brand a few years ago, uh, Better You, Better Gap. And we use that as a filter for employee programs, practices, and policies. We look for programs, practices, and policies that are both good for the business and drive positive business outcomes at the same time that they're improving people's lives so that an employee could come here and say, I'm better when I left Gap than when I came in. That's not always easy to do, but when you set it as an aspiration, you build uh, programs differently. So we we have a program at, at Gap Inc. we've had for a number of years called Gap Inc. for Community Colleges, and it's a partnership between Gap Inc. and uh, Skills for America's Future, a White House program. And the objective is that we, we take community college students who have high potential, and they're trained by our in-house staff. And a... Uh, the, the highest potential of them then can enter into an internship program at GAP where, uh, in the stores where at the end of it they um, have an assistant manager job. So 
So I think what we're looking at on NACI is how can we scale programs like that to more companies and find more ways for employers to have some of their workforce needs met at the same time we're building the skills of people like the long-term unemployed, um, young people who are more likely to be unemployed, et cetera. Well, and it, it's, it's, it's remarkable you're able to do all these different things. It's the amount of things that you're talking about that are going on in your organization is uh, you, you must be fairly organized <laughs> because you... Well, I think we're very focused. Very, very focused. focused. Yeah, that's a better way to put it, very focused. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it sounds like uh, you probably are on a regular basis uh, really keeping an eye on and, and, and keeping up with kind of what are the latest uh, thought leaders talking about. And I'm, I'm wondering if there's a book that you're reading now or just re- recently read that you might uh, recommend for our, for our listeners. Uh, I, I am, actually. And I, I read several books, uh, several dozen books a year, actually. I typically have a print book going and an audio book at the same time. And the audio book that I'm just starting right now is Liz Wiseman's Rookie Smarts, How Learning Trumps Knowing in the New Game of Work. Liz Wiseman is the author of Multipliers, a very well-known book from a few years ago about leadership, and she was formerly in talent management at Oracle Corporation. The premise of, of Rookie Smarts is kind of a next generation of thinking about growth mindset. It's based on her research, uh, illustrating that um, a rookie mindset, as she calls it, which is a bit like a growth mindset, one in which, despite your age, or despite your experience, you continue to approach challenges um, as you would if you were a rookie, mm-hmm. uh, pushing, trying things that are a little harder than you know how to do, stretching yourself, etc., is a recipe for success, that in studying successful people, this is what they continually do. So the book is about how you build a rookie mindset inside your organization to build your capacity for growth and change in you know, what's often called a, a It sounds a lot like, you know, there was, we really talk a lot about in our organization, we bring it up on the show from time to time, that idea of mastery, autonomy, and purpose. So that really fits into that mastery component that, you know, your employees really need to be always learning. They have this desire to want to learn new things, to become, you know, to master skills and to continue to be challenged. And your happiest uh, people are really those that are getting all three of those things met. I kind of find it's easy. I shouldn't say it's easy, but you can come up with a purpose and if you do a good job I mean you know what your purpose is it's not something you have to be constantly working on uh, if you've done a pretty good job identifying it and if you give people autonomy that, that's part of your culture it's how you, how you work but mastery is one that I always find is a challenge for people how do you continue to have people wanting to learn continue to give them those opportunities especially at particular stages of, of, of a, a job they may be a low skill worker low wage worker there not, may be a lot of opportunities for them to be constantly learning and getting new skills, but it sounds like that's something you guys are really, really focused on and thinking about in your organization as a part of your overall culture uh, and belief system. It's true because we've we've done so much work in this area. There's There are literally 
like a th- over a thousand different journal articles on growth mindset, establishing that winners, whether they be individuals or teams, are characterized by a growth mindset. And so from an organizational perspective, we are focused on that because we know it leads to winning. And so it, it has implications all throughout our operating infrastructure. So for example, how you make org design decisions. So we're increasingly making work design decisions based on providing continuing challenge to people. So instead of having just one type of work design, if someone has mastered their job, we will, for example, besides just rotating them to a bigger job, we might look at adding new responsibilities to their job that maybe came from a, uh, another job um, that someone has left and things of that nature, as well as continually raising the bar, for example, on people's goals, if they're mastering goals early in the year, giving them additional goals so that the ultimate objective, as you said, is simple, which is to keep subtly raising the bar, which encourages people to grow. It's very much that the the concept is very much like building a muscle, that in order for a muscle to grow, you have to stress it. So that's why if you lift a five-pound weight for a year, your muscle will grow a little bit in the first few weeks and then it's going to plateau. You have to keep raising the amount of weight in order for the muscle to grow. It's the same way with your brain, according to all of the research done on mindset psychology and neuroplasticity. And so we we sort of extend that concept throughout our operating model to think about how do you keep raising the bar on expectations so that people keep learning. Well, we've just barely scratched the surface here and this has been uh, wonderfully fascinating with what you're doing over there with GAP, and um, hopefully maybe we can have you come back in 2015 and and talk about this a bit more. I might even be able to spend a whole hour on this. It's, it really sounds like uh, your organization is doing a lot of wonderful things, and I'm sure uh, the, those 140,000 people that, that you employ globally, um, you probably have some pretty empowered and uh, excited uh, staff and, uh, t- that are really running, running through the organization and, and ultimately probably making customers really happy. We certainly hope so, and it's been a real privilege and an honor to to talk with you today, Chris. Thank you. So if you have a a learner out there and you have uh, someone who might uh, want to be part of your organization, what's the best way for them to to find out more about working for GAP? The best thing to do is to cruise over to www.gapinc.com, and they can find links to all of our individual brands as well as the history of the company and, most importantly, job opportunities. Fantastic. Well, Eric, again, thank you so much for being on the Talent Talk radio show. Best of luck to you next year, and have a wonderful holiday. Thank you. You as well, Chris. All right. Amber Judd is coming up after this quick commercial break. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. 
Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show, listen to past shows by either visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the Shows tab and clicking on Talent Talk, or you can go to uh, talenttalkradio.com, and there you'll find all of the different episodes, all the past guests, a lot of uh, notable ones we've had this year, like Marshall Goldsmith, and just, I'm blinking now, I've but uh, all sorts of great guests we've had all year long. I probably should have had a better prepared list there, but oh well. You know, in the time that we've existed, we've just already amassed such a huge following of 104,000 of you subscribing, and we just really, really appreciate it. So my next guest is Amber Judd. She is the owner of Creative Lighting uh, Displays. Don't forget to tweet your questions to Amber by sending them to at peopleg2 and using that hashtag talent talk. So Amber, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, Amber, when we kind of extend the invitation for you to come on the show, one of the things that was really interesting about you um, was that you were in the field of HR, which kind of touches one area of what we're doing here, and then you became an entrepreneur, uh, which is another part of, of what we're touching here. So you, you kind of hit both spots for us, uh, and we're really fascinated to find out more about that. But maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and, of course, uh, what you're doing with your new company, Creative Lighting Displays. Absolutely. My career in human resources um, has traveled through various industries, such as I've worked in the grocery, advertising, um, nonprofit, health, health, retail and telecommunications, big box retail, um, alcohol, beverage, and most recently, and I did a little bit of period of time in solar. I have a bachelor's in psychology, and I have my MBA in global business. Our company Um, creative line displays it truly originated from my husband and I wanting to create a non-scary alternative to the traditional Halloween night for our young children in 2008 started off initially as a hobby that we create that we created for our favorite holiday which is Halloween being that our displays was mounted to the external areas of our house it immediately began to draw a crowd of other families in the neighborhood um, and they enjoyed seeing our light show and celebrating the festivities of Halloween with their children or their grandchildren that made them smile um, versus a scare. So in 2011, when our party rock anthem um, from LMFAO Light Show went viral, it opened up um, a unique audience for us globally um, and allowed others to reach out to us and ask us, how do we do this for our own home and can you show us how to do it? So it it created this fostering of um, a lot of interest and creativity for others as well. So you spend your time working for these big companies like Time Warner Cable and Sam's Club and Anheuser-Busch, and then suddenly you get this huge amount of sort of this 21st century, you know, stardom or something goes viral, which is not something you probably anyone is really prepared for. And now you're in this position to become an entrepreneur and go do something on your own. So maybe what were some of the challenges? What were some of the things that were really scary or problematic that you had to face when you started? You decided to make that, that leap 
into being your own your own boss? One of the initial challenges that uh, we faced was that others were not really familiarized with what it meant to truly have synchronization of lights to music concept and understand it as a product. So we found it that um, having our business awareness required visual video or animation, so to speak, versus providing descriptive text. Meaning, if someone asked me what type of business is Creative Line Displays, or we call it CLD, I would explain it verbally as I'm pulling up a video from my phone or my laptop to complete the description. And it's really amazing to see those individuals light, uh, those eyes light up, and that smile that arises um, once they can grasp the concept visually seeing it. So that is one of one of the challenges we initially face. And as people become more familiarized with us it's becoming more aware as to what our product is and what we are about. The other challenge that we found initially was finding the hardware to support the creative art and lights that we were envisioning. Instead of constantly hunting for that, so to speak, red October, we decided that it would be a good opportunity for us to create our hardware that is unique to our company. So you started off with the... the Halloween display, you said. So, have you kind of expanded out of that into other holidays and other? I mean, I'm, you know, Christmas time seems an obvious, but have you kind of expanded out of that, or have you just kind of stayed in that niche of, of the Halloween time? No, we have ex- expanded since Halloween. We do a lot of commercial things now. We also still do our residential, which is where uh, our online store provides the hardware and the software for individuals who want to replicate our work that we do residentially. But we also do commercial work. Most recently, we were in Japan, and we were putting on shows, light shows, um, out there for those who wanted to come see it. So that was a lot of fun, and we're also utilizing those types of concepts of these light shows for um, other areas internationally as well, as well as locally in the states. So we currently have a shows that are not in the residential environment. However, they're three miles in length, and we have them in four different locations right now throughout the United States. So, wow, you are in Japan, and and so what kind of things did you do there? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. While we were in Japan, um, we visited an aquarium site in Osaka, for example, one of the sites that we went to, and they had reached out to us, and they were really fascinated by our thriller video that we had done um, for Michael Jackson. And they had asked if we would replicate it on one of their um, dolphin aquarium tanks so there would be a, a, a show as well as a stadium seating. So we did that. We went out there, and we programmed the software and the lighting, and we went out there, and we provided this. It was, it was a really amazing feeling when individuals come to watch this show and, you know, there's different reflections that are used from the lights, but also the water. So it was really neat to see these individuals come in and at the stadium and see it for the first time, something that they've never seen before, and get that awe and that, smi- that smile and that sparkle. Um, it's truly the reason why we do this. So I, I imagine uh, w- once you worked out some of those uh, other details that you mentioned, you know, being able to market it, being able to explain it to people or, or to show them, uh, dealing with some of the hardware issues, you know, so that you can actually have a, a product that you can use to, to do what you want to do. You then start to creep into, well, do you need to have either bring in talent to help you or do you need just to deal with other people uh, who are talented uh, to, to help kind of execute, you know, the job or the goal that you're trying to do? So 
do you feel like your your background in HR had much, you know, kind of help to you in really being able to, to be successful in those areas? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and I do have, my, my husband's a very strong programmer, so he as well is, the, I call, we all call him the mastermind behind the talent of the programming piece with respect to bringing in the talent. Um, either we know individuals through forums or social networking, um, word of mouth, people that have become um, building a rapport with. But to bring in the talent, and my background with human resources is helping um, to bring everyone cohesively to work together. So when everyone has different parts of the project to work on, I'm able to go and filter them and bring them together so we can bring this cohesiveness to the team environment and have everyone keep this mentality and this mind focus on this is the job, this is what we need to get done, and look at the end result and the goal. So it has been very beneficial. And I imagine with uh, those different companies you worked for, I mean, they, I'm sure they all had their own unique and very distinct cultures. Um, and, you know, we expect employees to kind of adapt or even adopt the, that really as their own uh, way of working. So you, you kind of mentioned there for a second about almost being cooperative or getting everyone to work well together or getting them to, to kind of work together to get the job done. And I guess because you're you're doing this as one kind of thing at a time, as opposed to maybe a retail store where they're you know they have customers walking in every day. You're kind of working on a on as a project based system. So, how important do you kind of see that uh, you know what you've learned and then what you're trying to push into is is it? I mean, would you call it culture? Is that you feel like that's what you're you're kind of trying to instill on everyone who's working on that job? Is it it's a type of a culture? There is definitely a culture that is needed. As we have one project or job that's working, we have four or five, maybe six at one time, Mm -hmm. simultaneously going on throughout the different parts of the United States. So it is definitely, um, we need a lot of um, collaboration. Right. And ensuring that um, our milestones or our timeframes are on target throughout each part of it, or it wouldn't be very difficult to be um, hitting our end results and our deadlines at a certain time. So when I look at how important the alignment is for the culture and the success of the companies, I truly feel that the company culture is a part of the core values that the that created the company to begin with. So with the different positions that I have acquired throughout my time and my career, I would research the company's mission and their vision statements for their core values to see how they aligned with their 10K report that was published or from the feedback that is posted on social media. Um, there are core values that I have and that we all have that, you know, we apply those core values to our work environment. When these core values, in my opinion, are part of the makeup of the employee, such as myself, then the company's success will attribute from their team's ability to achieve and exceed the expectations per person by leaps and bounds of each milestone and will keep them at a competitive advantage. From my experience, from what I have seen, Having individuals on a team that are focused on, let's say, for example, the money first, always resorts to the opposite re- results through time. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, and that's usually what people who haven't uh, brought in a strategic HR person, you know, to really help them tend to go to. Oh, we'll just throw more money at them. We'll, you know, incentivize them with, 
you know, get 50 more bucks to reach this goal or what have you. And that tends to bring in the wrong people. It also tends to be fairly unsuccessful. And that's, you know, been proven from study after study after study. It really falls into much more that type of uh, mindset learning we were just talking about earlier with uh, our first guest. So, you know, if you weren't doing this now, and let's say you were, you were back in HR, uh, is there a type of organization? I mean, maybe you know one specifically, or maybe you can kind of, you know, categorize one for us uh, generically. But, you know, what, what type of culture do you think is really the best one uh, for a company, a large company that's, you know, employing a lot of people in different places? Do you have kind of like a pattern or a, a formula that, that you would look for uh, in wanting to, to head up an HR department? When I'm looking, when I'm personally looking for an organization to join or, you know, to even ask if there is an opportunity to join their team, is I take a look at the culture and the core values of the company. So there's not really um, a recipe, so to speak, but what I look at is do the leaders truly practice um, the culture of the company? And when I mean leaders, it could be from the frontline leaders up. So I take a look at what that practice is and see how that fosters and spreads to their employees. So almost like as the um, the book that was once published or is published, Walk the Talk, is that truly occurring in that organization? And how do you think somebody really, you know, does that? I mean, you can look on their social media and see, well, if you think it's important that they're involved in the community, you might see pictures of them doing things like that. But, you know, how does the average person really get a, a better sense of that? Do you have any suggestions there? Well, my suggestion would be is what I practice is I take a look at the 10K report. Um, because the 10K report not only shows the financials, but it shows um, a lot of different elements, too, the people-wise, as to the track that the company is trending. So it'll show, you know, what they're currently at and what um, they are projected to do going forward. Mm-hmm. And so that has those reports, um, whether it be the 10K or if there has been a hiccup somewhere, an 8K report, those that have really been helpful for me to identify if the culture is in alignment to what the company is representing. Right. Well, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests, um, because we always get such wonderful answers that we've taken into book clubs and we've, uh, you know, people have regularly go to our blog and, 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 and click on, on what our guests uh, suggested because they like to go and read uh, the great things that our guests have suggested. So I'm wondering, I'm hoping that you have a great uh, answer for this question and, that is, what are you reading right now? The book that I'm reading right now is something that I have read in the past, so I'm rereading it. It is, um, the book is labeled Catch. It's a fisherman's guide to greatness. Um, I think it's really a great read. It walks you through the eyes of the employees who have been given that empowerment to make decisions, mm-hmm. take responsibility for their actions and work choices, but also have a lot of fun in a position that some people just may not find desirable. About five years ago or so, I had the opportunity to go visit Seattle's Pike Place Fish, and I saw the amazing fostering of teamwork that the employees have and the desire that others who are watching them when they go to visit want to, you know, encapsulate and bring back to their own companies. So it is always a good reminder for me that your work is what you make of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. And it's um, it, it, it's amazing. Um you know how many people who are in HR, who are in leadership, who are entrepreneurs, seem to be reading all the time, and it's that constant learning. It's that always looking for the next thing that might help you, might help your organization. And it sounds like a really good book that uh, 
our listeners might might enjoy checking out for sure. Do Do you remember the, the Do you remember the author's name? The author. Let's see here. I have the book in front of me. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> it is by Cindy Crother and the world of world and the crew of world famous Pike Place Fish. All right. Well, that sounds like a great one to check out. Well, I was also wondering, you know, given your kind of unique career, if you, if you look back at your own uh, personal and professional development, is there is there someone that maybe really helped in, to influence you as a leader? Uh, you know, sometimes people have a had a really strong boss. Maybe they had a parent. That usually always seems to be someone really in particular that kind of led them down a path. Did you, did you have that experience as well? I did. Um, there was quite well quite some time ago. And way some time ago, in, in elementary, my fourth grade teacher was my catalyst to offer me the exposure to the world that I really wasn't aware of. She constantly was introducing us to people with not only diverse backgrounds, but also diverse experiences. So one of the most influential moments that I remember in time is when she gave us an exposure to an orchestra. And I think it, it really opened up my eyes to many things. She, saw, she provided to us initially one instrument playing music, and it was amazing. It was really great to hear. But then when she started to have all these different variety of instruments come together to perform one song, it was breathtaking. She provided me this real-life metaphor for us to use as her students, and it also showed us the capabilities that we have are endless if we all pull together and work together. Well, that's uh, that's really interesting. I'm a, I'll have to tell my wife about that. She's a sixth grade teacher, and that's she's always looking for for, for great ideas. And I, I know um, she gets gets so happy when I think she's feels feels like she's made that kind of impact on a student. And it's amazing when students can can come back and kind of articulate that as well. Uh, that a teacher had such a you know huge impact on on their learning and their really exposure to to the world. Yes, absolutely, it did. So has that influenced you, or are there other things that maybe, uh, you know, kind of really get you into the right mindset in trying to encourage people to really develop their own talent and become better at their own work, you know, on their own without you having to kind of, you know, prod them or send them to a training or things like that? Do do, do you find that that's something that you are able to successfully get people to to do on a regular basis? Oh, absolutely. It's... um what I have found with individuals that I have worked with or I have encountered is that giving them the opportunity, one, to be empowered, to make a lot of decisions on their own, but also that feedback amongst each other, their peers, with you, you know, with me if, I'm, if they're reporting to me or vice versa, having them given those abilities, even whether it's tools, hands-on training, from like I said, if it's not with me, it's from others um, that are working with them to help them to see what else they may have a focus on one area of work type and then they're given these abilities and they're being exposed to other areas that they may not be as aware of or as comfortable with giving them that exposure usually will open up a lot of doors that um, they may not have found to be open initially right right so what are some of the the uh, projects that you're you're being asked to do right now in the United States Right now, we have four projects, as I mentioned before, that we are currently working on. Two we just wrapped up, and we have two more that are in the works for 215, which is not that are um, that are not repeating from the same year. So we have some new projects. 
the current projects that we are working on right now is we have these three mile light shows where it is a story as individuals are driving through this three miles of lights it is creating a story of the holidays um, we have two of them are in Tennessee one is in um, Alabama and then the other one is in Virginia we also have we just completed and we've well, we have completed it at this point, working to put together um, some light activity on a naval ship that's being that's docked right now in San Diego. So that was a lot of fun, too, to work with um, the crew, and hopefully we'll have the opportunity to visit it tonight to see it in real life. I'm mm-hmm. um, looking forward to that. And we'll also be doing some projects in Hawaii, so we're starting those projects as well. Well, it sounds like you're doing some really amazing things, and uh, I'm sure if the, you're going to be even busier in 2015. So how can people uh, find out more about what you're doing or, you know, uh, see some of these things? I mean, uh, maybe a particular website, or where, where should people go if they're interested in learning more about your company and possibly having you help them out? We can be found on Facebook. Um, we do have our own website, which is www.creativelightingdisplays.com. Or if someone likes us on Facebook, then they can travel through the journeys that um, that we have as we're posting it. We will always post all of our different activities that are currently going at the time. Great, and I'm sure they can uh, reach you that way if they're interested in having you, you do something like that. It sounds like a really neat uh, thing. I'd love to have that here where we are in Southern California to have that kind of a light display. Of course, I don't know if we have three miles of where we actually could drive at normal speed, um, you may have to, your husband may have to program it for a rush hour to really go slow for us. But Oh, we're looking at some venues right now because I know that's been a, a popular question is asking us to bring something to Southern California. So we are <laughs> definitely looking at some venues and um, we are in the works of communicating with them and locations. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you being on the Talent Talk radio show today. It's been a real pleasure, and we look forward to maybe getting an update from you in 2015 and seeing how you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to um, to meet with you. Wonderful. So that's about the time we have for today's show. Thank you again to my guests, uh, Eric Severson of uh, GAP and also uh, Amber Judd of uh, Creative Lighting uh, Displays. Excuse me. And uh, that's our last show for 2014. Uh, thank you to all that have listened and helped uh, Talent Talk become a forum for business leaders and HR executives to share their experiences in talent management, leadership development, and company culture. We have some uh, really great guests already lined up for 2015. For our very first show, we're starting the year off with a bang. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to have retired Commodore David Marquette, uh, author of Turn the Ship Around, on the show for the full hour. So get your questions ready. Tune in. Tell your friends. Uh, we can't wait to talk to him and... Uh, get all his great uh, inspiration and thoughts and talk about the book and what he's doing now. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You're listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.